Jesus asked the man laying next to the pool, he said, Will thou be made whole? And I used to read that and think, what a dumb question. Been laying there over 30 years, and you want to know, wilt thou be made whole? Until one day it dawned on me. If he didn't want to get out of there, he was never coming out. The number one thing you have to realize tonight is that if you want to come out of that thing, you've got to want to come out of it. Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? And he touched him. And from that moment, listen, the first thing he did was start making excuses. I haven't had anybody to put me in there. There hadn't been a man to put me in the water. He said, do you want it or not? Because you can talk about everybody else getting theirs before you and everybody else going in when the water's troubled. He said, what I want to know is, will thou be made whole? I don't want to know about the pool. I don't want to know about the angel that troubles the water. I want to know about you. Do you want to be made whole? He said, I do. Jesus said, then take up your bed and walk. In other words, take up that thing that you've been laying in. You can't leave the bed there and be made whole or you'll come back to it when you get discouraged. So get the bed and get the bed out of here and don't come back to it. I just want to know tonight, is there anybody here that wants to be made whole before you leave this place? I know a man who can. I know a man who can. The book of Matthew, chapter 16. I give great honor tonight to Bishop. I love him. So very thankful. I know I don't really preach any better, but I feel like I preach better when I can hear him say amen. Amen. (laughs) Somebody else said, I wish he'd say amen all the time then. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter number 16. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I love it. I remember. This is one of the scriptures, one of the chapters that I remember hearing hear preached a lot when I was a boy. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? You've told me what they say. What do you say? And Simon Peter spoke up and answered, Thou art the Christ. Simon was saying, you're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that the prophets have foretold. You're the one that Isaiah spoke about, Isaiah. You're the one that Jeremiah talked about. 
you're the one that John Baptist was a forerunner of. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. The Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus told Simon Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you have just a few minutes tonight, I want to preach to you about the church triumphant. Hallelujah. The church triumphant. I need you to help me right now, if you would, and put your Bibles on your pew, your iPads, your droids, your iPods, your iPhones, and Whatever else it is we're reading from this day. As long as it's not the Book of Mormon, we're all right. Because you won't find the revelation we just read in that book. I want you to put that Bible down behind you right now, and I want you to lift your voice towards heaven. God, would you speak to us in this place? Let the Spirit of the living God fall fresh on us in this house. Let there be a mighty work accomplished in this place, Lord. We're going to thank you for it. We're going to thank you for it, Jesus. We're going to thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's it, church. Yes. The church triumphant. Hallelujah. May God richly bless you and you may be seated. I'm so glad that you are here tonight, but I'm most happy that he is here. Hallelujah. I feel tonight that there is some expectation in the hearts of people for what God is going to do in this hour. I feel like sometimes it's easy for us to get sidetracked, get distracted when we face the pressures of life and uh, we get caught up in everyday life. Sometimes we're struggling with our work and sometimes we're struggling at the house. And sometimes we're overwhelmed with the load that we've taken on ourselves. And it's easy to lose sight of the promises of God when we're going through some things that are in front of us. And I've had seasons in my life where it seems like everything I've prayed for is just 
so far beyond my reach. I can't touch it. I can't find it. And it's in those times that I'm reminded of something that I feel like somebody needs to be reminded of in this place tonight. That God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he should repent. His arm is not short. And his promise is not slack. If God said it, he's going to do it. The test tonight is not of whether or not his word is true. The test is whether or not we've got the patience to possess the promise. So I feel like encouraging somebody tonight in the Holy Ghost and just telling you on this Sunday night that maybe the only reason you came to this place on Sunday night is to just be reminded that you've got what it takes to make it. You've got what it takes to endure. I know you've been through it. I know you've been fighting some stuff. I know that the enemy's been fighting against you tonight. But just let me remind you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I want to tell you something, church. In this day and time that we live in, The last place in the world you'd catch me is outside the church. I'm fixing to preach to you in just a minute, but I want to lay some groundwork right here, and I want to tell you something, and I don't want this to sound offensive. But this is the dumbest time in the world to backslide. This is absolutely the most stupid time in history for you to say, it's not worth it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm quitting. I'd rather try to figure this out on my own. If history teaches us anything, it teaches us that history repeats itself. And everybody that's ever tried to make it on their own has found out you just cannot make it on your own. I am telling you tonight from the heart of a man that has been set free, has been washed in the blood, has been filled with the Holy Ghost, has been baptized in the name of Jesus, that I'm glad to be a part of the church. The other day, my family and I, we were walking through the the, uh, ark experience outside Cincinnati. We walked by some areas and they were talking about what happened to the waste in the ark. They were saying, obviously, with this many animals on the ark, there was waste. And so they show what they thought could have been the kind of system that would have worked for all of that to go away. Very informative, very neat. But I just thought to myself, with one window that was not open all the time and one door that was closed, I would imagine that the waste that was on the ark could have been pretty disgusting. I would imagine that the smell was not really something that I want to be too familiar with. First job that I ever picked up at 13 years old was Brother Russell let me come out and shovel some waste out of his milk barn. He paid me $6 to come out there and take care of what the cows were doing while they were being milked. And I was glad to have it. But I want to tell you a little something about that ark, folks. It may not have been the most appealing place. And when Noah's wife and uh, his daughter-in-laws were up in that kitchen cooking and preparing a meal, I'm sure 
many nights they ate meals with smells that you didn't want to be a part of. But the truth of the matter is that whatever mess was made on that ark was better than what was going on on the outside of the ark. I know it may sound old-fashioned, but you're looking at somebody tonight that's glad to be on the inside looking out. I know, I know folks are funny, and they can, they can get sideways with you. I've been in ministry long enough to know that not everybody we pastor is perfect. Now, almost all of you are. You notice I never even looked up. Almost all of you are perfect. Some of you have messes in your life. Some of you have been through things. I know you're not going to believe this if you're new to this church. But there are folks in this church that have offended one another. There's people in this church that have fought with each other. There's people in this church that have had problems with one another. I've watched people for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks come in and sit on opposite sides of the church and still lift their hands. I don't know what the worship smelled like, but I want to tell you this. I'm sure glad they were here. What what, what, what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying to you is this is a simple little principle that I just want to sneak in here on this Sunday night, and I want you to get it, okay? I want you to get it. The best thing that you can do when you don't have answers and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to reconcile what's going on in your mind is just be faithful. Every time the doors are open, just show up. If there's somebody in the church you're frustrated with, don't talk to everybody else. Talk to God about it and just show up. If you're having trouble at home, just be faithful. If your husband won't come with you, just show up. If mama don't want to come, get in the truck and come with the kids. I don't want to bust anybody's bubble tonight or hurt anybody's feelings. But I've seen a lot of good single mamas that have raised their kids in the church. They didn't wait on daddy to make the move. They said whether daddy comes or not, I've got to be saved. Pastor, I get frustrated with people in the church. Well, I do too. See, you don't even believe right now that I said that, but I, I do. Not people in this church, people in other churches. I'm frustrated with all the folks in Wabash. Why not? It just sounds good. Maybe someday all churches will come to the perfection level of this one. That their pastors don't have to be frustrated. Church family, listen to me. You can walk around this room tonight and you can find fault with a lot of people. You can walk through the house tonight and you can find faults with a lot of folks. I'm telling you the truth. You can find it if you're looking for it. You can find somebody to get mad at. You can find somebody to quarrel with. You can find somebody, but you know what? I can go to a family reunion and find that. I can go to my job and find people to fuss with and find people I don't like and find people that drive me nuts and find people when they find out you're a pastor, all they want to do is counsel with you while you're trying to work. But the difference is you'll go back to work 
because you want that paycheck. What I'm telling you right now is if you want the reward, you got to keep on showing up. Every time the doors are, I'm discouraged, Pastor. Well, show up discouraged. I'm depressed, Pastor. Then show up depressed. Because if you walk in here discouraged, you can leave encouraged. At some point in time in your life, you have to take on the weight and the pressure, the understanding that if I'm lost, It's my fault. And if I'm saved, it's because I wanted to be saved more than anything else in this world. And I didn't let anything or anybody or anything that I went through detour me, separate me. The question was asked, what can separate me from the love of God? And the answer is not height, nor depth, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come. The answer is I can. I can separate me from the love of God. I can separate myself from what God wants from me. I can separate myself from the will of God. But the thing I love about that is that if I'll make up my mind that nothing's going to separate me from God, then it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what folks say about me. It doesn't matter what the devil throws at me. If I make up my mind, I'm going to make it. My family walked out on God. My dad walked out on God. My mother walked out on God. But you don't have to. Well, if you'll deal with so-and-so and and we'll get all that fixed and get all that taken care of, then I can serve God. I want to tell you, folks, if you can't serve God right now, you won't serve God when that's vindicated. When I was a boy... I used to read Matthew chapter 16, and it was like revelation would just pour from it. Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the general question, who do men say that I am? Some say thou art Elias, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And that spoke to me as a child to understand that it really doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks about Jesus. Because listen to me now. Let let me break this down for you. They were all wrong. Not one of their opinions was right because he wasn't Elias. He wasn't Jeremiah. He wasn't John the Baptist. He wasn't just a prophet, although he was a prophet. He wasn't just a rabbi, although he was a rabbi. He wasn't just a man full of God. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So understand me when I tell you that just because somebody else doesn't know who Jesus is, that does not give me an excuse to not know who he is for me. If you want to know who Jesus is, you've got to get after it. You've got to pursue him. You can't wait on somebody else to tell you who Jesus is. He said, who do you say? Well, my grandmother thought he was the second person. I wish I knew your grandmother. I probably would have loved her, and I bet she could make a mean biscuit. 
But he's not the second person. He is the image of the invisible God. It pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Paul told the church at Colossae, you are complete in him. I'm telling you tonight that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light and the light was the life of men. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. That word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'm glad I know who he is. But you can't keep me from knowing who he is. Who do you say that I am? He said, what's your thoughts about this? Because if you have the revelation, that's on you. If you don't have the revelation, that's on you. We can get so caught up in what everybody else is teaching, what everybody else is preaching, what everybody else is thinking, what their idea of theology is, and boy, you can chase it around. Folks, if you're looking for a Facebook fight, I can get you one in three minutes. I can find you somebody that doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. They want to talk stupid doctrine stuff and get you all messed up, but you hear, Pastor, when I tell you tonight, you hear me. You can chase around foolishness for so long that eventually you don't even know what you believe and you start questioning what you believe. At some point, you got to resign yourself to the fact that you know who he is. You understand that he was father in creation, son of redemption, Holy Ghost in the church, and he's never stopped being any of those. you got to understand that he was the rock in the wilderness. He was the burning bush. He was the smoke on the mountain. I've come to tell you, he was the pillar of fire by day. Ah, my God, I know who he is. You can't preach about the church triumphant and not preach about who he is. Because that's what the revelation is. That's how it's built. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. The flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Watch this. This is an interesting dynamic. If you'll notice in the scripture from the time that Jesus called Simon Peter until this very chapter in Matthew chapter 16, he was always referred to as Simon Peter. Until Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Messiah. Thou art the Christ. Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon Peter, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee. And then, in verse number 18, he said, I say unto thee also, Thou art Peter. From this time forward in the scripture, after verse 18, We never see him referred to as Simon Peter again. Because there is something that changes in the dynamic of one's life. When they come to the knowledge of who he really is. I'm telling you right now, your friends can never look at you the same. The people that you walk with, they can never look at you the same. 
Jesus said, up until now, they've called you Simon. Up until now, they've called you Simon Peter. He said, but I just want to tell you right now that from this point forward, you will be what I call you. Can I say this to you? Before this verse, he was identified as Bar Jonah. In other words, that's what your father called you. Before right now, this is what your daddy named you. He said, but from this point on, what your daddy named you doesn't matter. We're going to start calling you what I call you. Your daddy may have named you an alcoholic because he was an alcoholic. You're just Billy, son of so-and-so. You're just Bobby, son of so-and-so. You're just old Bart Jonah. But I feel like telling you right now, when you find out who Jesus is, you don't have to be who your daddy says you are. My father fell to this sin, and my daddy fell to that sin, and my mother fell to that sin, and my other mother, boy, I'm telling you, you know, that was my dad's second or third, and boy, I just, I don't know if I can keep my marriage together. My mom and dad never stayed married. They never kept it together. Would you quit calling yourself what your daddy said you are? I never had anybody to tell me I could succeed, Pastor. I never had anybody to tell me that I could make it. Time out. You can succeed, and you're going to make it. You can't ever say that again. Because I'm telling you tonight, standing upon the most holy and precious faith, that you can be what your daddy in heaven says that you can be. Can I tell you right now, your daddy may have been an unfaithful man to your mother, but the Holy Ghost says you can be faithful. I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When I was a boy, we used to sing quite a few of Dottie's songs. Dottie Rambo was... At one time, an apostolic writer. And in the year 1966, to the best of my understanding, Dottie wrote a song that we used to hear. I hadn't heard it in years and years and years, but for some reason this week I couldn't get it out of my mind. It's called The Church Triumphant. Can can y'all just stay with me for a minute? Can, can Can I read this to you right here? She said, it's the old ship of Zion. It's the hope for the lost and dying. It's a soul-saving station. It's the tower of salvation. It's the church triumphant, O Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. In the course, she said, I'm talking about the church in the book of Revelation. It's built on a rock. It's got a firm foundation. It's been through the flood. God, I feel him here. It's been through the flood, and it's been through the fire. But one of these days, the church is going to move up higher. It's the church triumphant, oh, Lord. And it's built upon this rock. I will build. 
I can just hear it now. In them old apostolic services, somebody be beating the, the piano to death and they throw their head back and they'd say, it's been through the storm, but the wind couldn't turn it. It's been in the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it. Been fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. Fought a lot of wars, but never been defeated. Yes. It's the church triumphing, oh Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. If I was the one building the church, surely it would fall apart. But he said, Peter, you're not going to build the church and I'm not building the church on you. I'm building the church on the revelation of who I am because that revelation will stand. Ah. God have mercy. Jesus said, gates of hell shall not prevail he said Peter the church is indestructible it can't be prevailed against the word indestructible in the dictionary means incapable of being overtaken now I may sound a little presumptuous right here, but I'm just going to tell this congregation tonight, you can do whatever you want to do, but I think I'm just going to stand on the Word. And the place where I'm standing from right here, let me just tell you what I think about it. I look back through history, and I, I started, started reading several, several years ago. I got really, really consumed with our church history. It was very unique because God was dealing with some of us in the apostolic movement at the same time. Uh, in my generation, and men coming up behind me, and I did not realize at that time that God was dealing with me, that he was also dealing very deeply with uh, some of my close friends, and especially with Brother Stephen Gill, who wrote a, a book about early church history and our Judaic Christian history. Uh, and as you read about church history and you read about how things transpired and what happened and how the dichotomy, the split and how, how we departed from Jerusalem and how we were fought and how the Jews and the Gentiles separated and I don't want to make you snoring Greek and dreaming Hebrew but I just want to share with you just a little bit kind of how all this worked. Finally, there was a large group of apostolic one God Jesus name believers that ended up in Rome and the Apostle Paul was writing letters from Rome underneath the streets of that great city and historic records have told us that it was hell on earth for these people to live and to exist and uh, you may have heard me share some time ago reading in the book uh, the annals of Tacitus of how he explained as a biographer or historian somewhat, if you would, of Nero. And he was a man that was an atheist, believed nothing of God, so he didn't have a shaded view or perspective. He began to write about 
these people that the only crime they had ever committed was that they were loyal to one named Christus, Jesus Christ, who started a movement in Judea. And that from that meeting in Judea, it had spread all through the then known world. And he begins to explain how this small group of people had made such an effect on the world. And he said that they were so hated by Nero and they were so hated by the Romans that literally these people... He said that uh, Tacitus said that Nero would have parties at his home and in gardens that uh, were a part of of his properties and different things and in city parks and he said that they would have these Christians come to these parties strapped with the skins of a dead animal that still had blood left on it and they would release animals of prey lions or whatever predators would release them and, and they would have parties sitting in gardens and sitting at the house and sitting in coliseum type places where these people who Tacitus said the only crime they committed was just being loyal to their leader, Christus. He said that they would strap those skins of dead animals to those people and they would turn the live predator animals loose and that people would stand and mock and cheer. As these people were torn from stem to stern. And that people would stand and watch as these people were laid across large tables. And men would get with large hacksaws, one on each side. And they would put it to the midsection of those people. And they would tell them, if you just will denounce what you believe in God. And you will denounce the power of this Jesus Christ, we will leave you alone. And they would lay there shaking their heads saying... I will not denounce Christ as as laying there alive and awake. They would begin to be sawed asunder. And they would literally stand there, uh, lay there rather, and watch their own guts pour out on the table around them. And they would stand there and wait for the guillotine to come down and chop their neck off. And so my point is very simply this, that the world thought the way to silence the church was to just get a few members here and there and silence their voice and that surely if they could silence their voice then they could shut them down and we would stop the church but what they did not understand is that these people were not just backed by the power of the Holy Ghost they were backed by a promise that he was going to build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church so you can saw them asunder you can burn them at the stake you can do whatever you want to do but you cannot stop the church incapable of being overtaken I want to tell you something about the church she's lived in some darker times than we're in right now and she's made it I know some of y'all think it's dark times because your favorite politician's not getting elected How terrible. How sad that we may have a politician somewhere in your world that you don't like. Well, welcome to paradise. I know, I know y'all think if we get the right leader in office, we're going to have revival in this nation. I want to tell you right now, I'm going to have revival. I don't care who's in office. Oh, pastor, are you worried about 2020? No, not at all. Because this church is not built on Washington's Hill. 
This church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus is not my president. I think that's why some folks don't like the kingdom of God because they don't get a vote. But here's what I want you to know. We may not get a vote, but we sure will win. She survived the firing times. Tacitus said they were trying to take out large numbers of these. It's very, it's very difficult reading because the language is old. But if you start reading it, I remember the first time, matter of fact, the first time I read through the book, Brother Gill brought it to me. And I sat weeping as I read through the book. He said that these people, they were trying to kill larger numbers of them, didn't know fully what to do with them. So. Nero was taking these people and cutting them up in pieces and putting them on large skewers. And he said as the sun would set in Rome that they would light these people, uh, their, their bodies. They would light them on fire and that these Christians were literally the night lights through the streets of Rome. That as people just went about their business, they never even looked twice. They just walk up and down the streets doing whatever they're doing. Whatever kind of sin they're doing, they walk right past these folks. And these Christians... Uh, that have been murdered, their body parts are hanging off of spears, and they are literally lighting up the nighttime in Rome. This is historic. This is, this is not something that I'm making up. This is not some kind of rhetoric. I'm telling you, it is recorded. This is exactly how they did it. It was a terrible, terrible season. But I, I, know, I know some of us right now... Uh, we, we really think that we're living in an extremely dark time because the Supreme Court has ruled on some things that you don't think they should have ruled on. And while we're so worried about the Supreme Court redefining marriage, we're over here in the church still trying to figure out how many we can have before too many is too many. Boy, that got quiet up in here. So what we're worried about the world redefining, we've already started. We're worried about the sin adjusting the bar, the world adjusting the bar of sin for us. Oh, God, what are we going to do if they say we can't preach in his name? We're going to have to do the same thing they did in the early church when they said, no longer speak in this name. You know what they did? They just preach, Bishop. They said, don't come around here anymore speaking of his name. And they took Paul and they beat him, literally beat him till they thought he was dead, carried him outside of town and left him laying there in the heat for dead. When he woke up from being knocked out, he got up and walked right back into the same town and started preaching. He was bruised. He was broken. He had been knocked down, but he had a message and he was part of a church. It was the church triumphant. And Paul said, you can't kill me and kill the church. If I die, the church is still alive. Here's what history tells us. She'll live in fire in times. She prevails in the darkest of hours. The church excelled in dark times. It'll stand through the flood. It'll stand through the fire. It'll stand through the storm. It's the church triumphant. God said, I want you to know 
that the most powerful thing that can ever come against the church is the gates of hell. And even the gates of hell don't stand a chance against the church. He said, so let governments rise up. Let nations rise up. Let people rise up. Let whatever rise up. Let hell itself rise up. But the gates of hell shall not. I'm talking about the church triumphant. I'm talking about the church of the living God. And so finally, Constantine says, well, here's what we're going to do. If we can't beat them, we're at least going to contain them. He said, we can't stop them. We've been trying. So what we're going to do is we're going to contain them. Now, there's some mixed feelings about this, and I don't have time to go off into a deep history lesson, but just stay with me right here. He took places of worship of idolatry. You've heard me teach on it many, many times. He gave it to these Christians and said, this will be your church from now on. You can meet in here. And they took other idols and gave them names of Peter and so this is the Apostle Paul, and this is the Apostle Peter, and this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and none of that was true. It was all different, but this is my point. It was not a church that they built. It was not a building that they built. It was not a place that the children of God got together and just started putting hammer and nail together, and they didn't hew out marble and shine it up and build the building. No, no, no. They didn't do that. It was a place that was pre-existing. Constantine said, we're going to put them in houses of idolatry and we're going to make them have church in there. And since we can't stop them, we'll just contain them. If we contain them long enough, this thing's going to die and it's going to stop. But what he did not realize is that that Apostle Paul, when he was preaching way before 324, he makes a salutation that's very interesting that I've always thought was so cool. When he says to all the saints in Caesar's household, praise the Lord. To all the saints in Caesar's house, in a land that you didn't build, in a place that you're not from, in a house that's not your own, you're in Caesar's house. You're in a place where you're hated. You're in a place where you're despised. But the apostle said to all the saints in Caesar's household, you know what that meant? In a place that's trying to kill you, they're still saints. And if Caesar couldn't get it done, and if Nero can't get it done, and if Constantine can't get it done, the devil himself cannot get it done. Put them, put them in their buildings. Just put them in there. It'll stop. But what they don't understand is that's where this thing started. It started with a bunch of people that got confined in the same room. And what happened then is what needs to happen now. They got in the same room, and instead of fussing and fighting and bickering, they sat in there for about 10 days waiting on the Holy Ghost to move. And while they sat in that upper room, something started shifting in the atmosphere. And they began to get in one mind and one accord. 
Can I tell you right now, it doesn't matter if it's an upper room, if it's in Caesar's household or St. Peter's Basilica. It doesn't matter if it's at FPC in Anderson, Indiana with air conditioned and padded seats. It doesn't matter where it is. If God's people will get together... You're not hearing me on Sunday night. I said if God's children will get together, God has always and will always move because where two or three are gathered. I know, I know in the 21st century we've, we've really tried to polish up our presentation. We really have. We try to do good. We got first impression team. We, we got ushers, we got musicians, and we got choir. And boy, I'm telling you, we're doing our best. We got cafes. You think that you think they had a cafe at the upper room? I don't know. If they were smart, they probably had Turkish coffee somewhere close. I guess they probably didn't call it that back then. Man, we've really tried to polish it up. You know, we've tried to tried to make it right. Try to do it nice. We don't, we don't want to leave your kids' Cheerios laying on the floor. We try to clean all that up, make it look good. Be sure your fruit drink boxes are up off the floor and snot rags are not laying on the altar. And all, you know, We want all that to be right. I'm going to tell you something, church. We got we to pursue it. We've got, we got to do it. We, we don't have any choice. We got to do it right. As long as I'm here, I want us to be polished and professional, do it the best that we can do it. But I'm going to tell you something. I've been in services where I wouldn't have set myself down on the floor where we were having church for nothing. And I couldn't understand one single word that they were saying. I've been in big buildings. I've been in little buildings. I've been in English places and I've been in not so English places. I've been in places with dirt floors and I've been in places with carpet. I've been in places with marble floors, and I've been in places they'd just be happy to be able to call it a floor. But I'm going to tell you something that always happens. I don't care if I understand it or not. I've been praying at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem with a bunch of people that I couldn't understand what they were saying. But when I got to praying, come on, somebody. I've been in buildings with people that I wasn't sure if they believe what I believe or not. And I didn't know if the interpreter was telling them what I was preaching right or not. I can tell you some funny stuff about that. I can tell you about a, a missionary I heard about one time that he couldn't speak the language where they were and his wife could. So she was his interpreter. His wife informed somebody <laughs> that she was a little better preacher than he was. So she wasn't really preaching what he was preaching. She just let him scream in English, and then she'd preach what she wanted to preach. <laughs> he thought he was the Makula Muruti. I could tell you about a missionary friend that I have. This guy came to preach their conference from America. The guy was preaching that... The missionary said, what in the world is this dude preaching? said it was horrible. said he got up there screaming in English, and he wasn't saying anything that was worth listening to at all. He said, so man, I'd just let him scream, and I'd take off preaching. He said, I preached my own conference exactly the way I wanted to preach it. 
So I'm sure I've been places that they didn't preach what I was preaching. I'm sure it's happened. But I'm going to tell you something I found out. If you can get about two or three of us together, and we can get together in his name, it doesn't have to be in the, the best of the best. It doesn't have to be in air condition. It doesn't have to be in carpet floor. It doesn't have to be in padded pews. Let me tell you why. Because it's the church triumphant. And wherever there are people that are gathered in his name, there's going to be somebody that has a testimony when they look back over their life and where they could have been, but where God has brought them from a mighty long way. Can I tell you right now, you're not a part of a church that's dying. You're not a part of a church that's on her way down. You are part of the church triumphant. You're in a house tonight of people that could have been dead and buried. They could have still been alcoholics. They could have still been drug addicts. But tonight, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The word of the Lord said that the earth will burn with a fervent heat. That moth and rust will corrupt and destroy, but not the church. She is incorruptible. She is indestructible. She is the mighty church of the living God. She is the church triumphant. I'm almost done. When I was a boy, we used to sing, this train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory. If you want to go to heaven, you got to live holy. This train is bound for glory. This train. This train won't carry no liars, this train. This train won't carry no liars, this train. This train won't carry no liars. No backbiters and no backsliders. This clean train is a clean train. This train. This train is a clean train. This train. This train is a clean train. If you want to ride, you got to ride in Jesus' name. You don't just get in this church. You don't just sign a card and join this church. If you want to come into the church triumphant, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. you got to repent of your sins and be baptized in the only saving name. You will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're not just a church that pays people's rent and light bills. I know society looks at it a little different. I'm going to tell you right now, folks. Please don't take this ugly. If I had to sit with my hands folded and my feet crossed, I don't think I could be a member. If I, if I had to stand up and preach and say, please turn in your Bibles today to the book of Deuteronomy. I just don't think I could make it. 
Because when I think of the goodness of Jesus, when I think of what he's done for me, I'm going to tell you young guys something. I picked up on this. I picked up on it. that Brother Haney and Brother Hensel are pretty proud and happy about it. But y'all been making them run by themselves. Maybe it's just because you've been in the church long enough. You don't remember what it felt like when your burdens rolled away. But I got to tell you tonight, I've still got to dance in my feet. I still got a clap in my hands. I still got a praise on my lips. I still got joy in my heart. When I think of how good God's been, I can't stand still. I've got to shout it out. I'm glad to be in the church. talking about the church in the book of Revelation it's built on a rock got a firm foundation it's been through the flood and it's been through the fire but one of these days the church this train is bound for glory this train is bound for glory I'm not just doing this so that I can die a peaceful life. I'm doing this because I've got a reward. On the other side of this, I'm going to cross over Jordan and I will receive my reward. But you've got to be in the church. If you're glad to be in the church tonight, I just want you to begin to give God praise. I want you to begin to give God praise for where you are. Come on, think about where you could be, but where you are tonight. Give him praise, church. Come on, when I think of his goodness, I've got to shout hallelujah. I'm talking about the church in the book of Revelation. It's built on the rock. It's got a firm foundation. It's been through.